you're listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org. Well, if you're a child of God, you've been given freedom, freedom to serve. And I guess the question I would ask you is, what type of example are you? You know, it's been said that uh, for many years, Monterey, California, was what they called a pelican's paradise. As the fishermen stood on the side of the bank of the ocean, they would clean their fish. And as they cleaned their fish, they would throw the innards of the fish out to the pelicans. But eventually, the inside of the fish were being utilized for something else. I don't know if they fish tacos or something. I don't know what to use the innards for. But anyway, it was used for something else. So the pelicans no longer had the opportunity to get their food from what the fishermen gave out to them. So they had to fish for themselves. But what happened was they waited around and they grew very thin. Many of them starved to death. They had forgotten how to fish for themselves. And you know, by the way, I sometimes wonder if some of us in the church have grown a bit lazy ourselves as believers, expecting maybe some other people to do some of the things for the Lord. Uh, is somebody else going to take care of the children's ministry? Is somebody else going to care for the needs of the elderly? Is somebody else going to care for the fellowship? You know, somebody else is a really very busy person. Well, the problem in Monterey was solved. And the way they solved that problem was by importing new pelicans, birds who were accustomed to foraging for themselves and getting their own food. And what they did, they imported these pelicans and they placed them among their cousins who had forgotten how to feed themselves. And before long, the hungry pelicans followed suit. They started fishing for themselves and the famine ended. So what happened? Well, in the animal kingdom, just like the world we live in, examples need to be followed. So I ask the question again, what kind of example are you? How powerful would the church be if everyone followed your example of service? That's what we're going to be talking about today, service for the Lord. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up with love. Well, last week we discussed the absolute necessity of good doctrine. And when we speak of good doctrine, we're referring to everything that we find in the Scriptures that is truth, which is everything that is in the Scriptures. And here in verse 15, we look at talking about speaking the truth in love. You know, a church who is doctrinally sound and who is mature in their thinking is a church that will serve out of love when they proclaim the gospel. In other words, love is really the motivation in which they serve. We are equipped by God with wisdom, with knowledge, with understanding, so that we may lovingly share his good news with others. We are equipped to serve, not just to sit and to soak. 
We're not to become stagnant. I'm sure that you've heard of the Dead Sea before. Uh, I don't know if you've really ever stopped to think why the Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea. Well, here's the reason. Here is a body of water that has water that is flowing into it, but it has no outlet for the water to go back out. And what happens is the water comes in there, becomes stagnant, becomes very salty, and because of that, there is no life that has an opportunity to live and to grow. And if you stop and think about it, a Christian who takes on God's saving grace yet does not share it through service, in other words, does not have the outflow of service, is stagnant and really not life-giving. We were given the gift of eternal life, and there is a biblical mandate that we lovingly serve other people. We are to have the, so to speak, the outflow of serving. We're not gifted to be self-serving and compliant. We are gifted to expand and to build up the body of Christ. The attitude in which we should serve is love. And I think next week that's going to really be touched on in the message. But I want you to listen to these two verses in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The most convincing way that we can serve is by living an authentic, loving life. We've seen in uh, the book of Ephesians and we're told in every single way that we are to serve through love. And that means that we are subject to his controlling power. In Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, we read these words. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer that I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself up for me. If Christ truly lives in you, don't you think that it makes absolute, perfectly good sense from what we've seen in the Scripture that we are to serve him in love? Once again, he has a purpose for each and every one of us. And as we live out that purpose, each doing his or her part, great things can be accomplished and God will be glorified. Now, as we read in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, Paul gives an analogy of the human body and he describes the human body as an analogy to the church body. You know, the human body is an absolutely amazing creation. It's made up of, as you know, very many different parts. Let's just look at the bones. In a human body, there's approximately 206 bones. It is the part that gives structure to the body. Bones are made of connective tissue that are reinforced with cal calcium and specialized bone cells. And most bones also contain bone marrow where the blood cells are made. Bones work with muscles and joints to hold our body together and support freedom of movement. And this is called the muscular skeletal system. The skeleton supports and shapes the whole body and protects the delicate internal organs that are inside, such as the brain, the heart, and the lungs. Now I want to read Psalm chapter 139, verses 13 and 14. 
For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. This creation, his image is the way that we were made, and it is absolutely amazing. And this is what Paul used to compare us, the body of believers, to our physical body. Every part of the human body is essential for its growth and existence. If one part of your body suffers, it affects your entire body. Now, obviously, you have to have a heart to live. But do you need that big toe on your left foot? Well, it's nice to have it, but you don't absolutely have to have it. Say, for instance, you were barefooted, and I came up with a hammer, and I just whacked that little toe on the left foot. What, what would happen? Well, adrenaline would rush through your body. You would probably scream. Uh, more than likely, you would walk uh, quite um, gingerly for a while. Even though you may think that's not a very significant part of the body, for a period of time, it would affect the entire body. So why do I use that analogy? Whether in your mind you are the heart of the church or you're the little toe on the left foot, you are important. Every person is important. Every person makes a difference. We cannot do this as well as we could without you. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, Paul refers to Christ as the head. This was Paul indicated Christ's authority as the head of the church. And he is not only the ruling head, but he is the source of the power of all functions of the body. You know, as the brains is the control center of the physical life, so is Christ the organic source of life and power to this body, the church. And as we submit ourselves to his power and are obedient to his will, we are growing in to his likeness. Once again, in Galatians 2.20, it says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Our church's power does not come from the leadership, and it does not come from structure. The body receives its authority and power and direction from Christ and Christ alone, from whom the body is formed and the body is held together. Growth in the church does not come through clever methods. It comes as a result of every member using his or her spiritual gifts in harmony with each other as believers. The power in the church comes, comes from the Lord through the believers and the relationships between believers. And Christ is looking for willing and loving obedience to build his body, the church. Now, I want to take just a few moments, and I want to make a case to you on why service should be a priority in every Christian's life. So the question is, why should I serve? And I'm going to give you several references. Number one, we are created for service. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. In other words, for service which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He planned that we should spend our lives in helping and serving others. Remember, 
The world is watching us. And as we share the love of Christ in helping others, we are opening a pathway to share our hope, which is in Christ. Let me give you an example of that. Uh, almost every year, with the exception of the uh, pandemic years, uh, we take several mission trips. One we took, uh, one that I went on last was to Vancouver. One of the things that we do when we get to Vancouver, we always have what we call a Texas barbecue. And they invite all the college, college students. The last time we did this, we did it at a park, which is on a beach. About 125 college students came to this thing. We showed our love to them. We served them. And as a result of that, there were about five or six people that got connected to the church that stuck. The reason I believe that they got connected is because we serve them out of love. So why serve? In serving others, we are giving evidence that we belong to him. Romans chapter 7 verse 4. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. In other words, that we might be of useful service for God. Why serve? Serving others is a way to serve God. Colossians 2, excuse me, Colossians 3, 24. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. And there is another uh, passage of Scripture that I think says it best. And this is a passage of Scripture that we share at the beginning of every Cornerstone Assistance Network uh, meeting that we have. And this is uh, from Matthew chapter 25, starting with verse 31, going through verse 40. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give you drink? And when did we, did we see a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer him, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. Simply said, by serving others, we're serving God. Why serve? I serve because I owe God everything. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service. God showed his mercy toward me and toward you. 
Give your life to him in service. This is one way that we can in return worship him. Serve him because it is the best use of your life. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is never in vain. Nothing, nothing that you do in the Lord's service is ever without value. And you have but one life to live. Don't you want to make the best of that? Why serve? Serve him because it makes life meaningful. Mark chapter 8, verse 35. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Listen to the same verse in just in a paraphrase, okay? This is a paraphrase. If you insist on saving your life, you'll lose it. Only those who throw away their lives for my sake and the sake of the good news will ever know what it really means to live. You know, a benefit of service is our reward here and throughout eternity. John chapter 12, verse 26. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone, anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And I want to live my life for Christ. I want to finish my life strongly. And I want to one day hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. The greatest way of demonstrating our faith in Christ and love in the church is through serving other people. And Christ actually set the example for this. Think about this just a moment. Here he was in the upper room getting ready to face what he knew was coming all along. He had an opportunity to teach his disciples one last thing. So did he teach them a great theological truth or did he answer a question that many people had been asking? Listen to what he did. John chapter 13, verse 5. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He taught by example that service was one of the most important concepts you can put your head around. And I believe that we should take note what Christ communicated in his very last teaching. Listen to Paul's words in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. Galatians 5, 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. We as a church body, together, unified, are a mighty force. God has gifted us in a way that when fit together properly, we can do great things for him. I would like to think that the desire of every Christian here today is to be servant-hearted. Let me encourage you to take just a couple of minutes here and do a personal assessment by answering these questions, okay? Are you servant-hearted? Are you totally dedicated to God? Are you totally dedicated to God? Uh, Psalm chapter 119, verse 10. With my whole heart, 
I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. We are told that we are to give it our all. Is he the one you first turn to when trying to get answers to life's most important questions? Are you servant-hearted? Do you see service as an opportunity and not just an obligation? Psalm chapter 100, verse 2. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. 1 Timothy 1.12, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he has judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Are you happy? Are you glad that he gives you these opportunities that he does? Are you servant-hearted? Are you motivated by what God thinks and not what other people think? Galatians 1.10, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. That's pretty straightforward. What is your motivation? Are you serving God or are you serving man? Do you at times judge the service of others? In other words, are you a service inspector? Romans 14, 4. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. You know what? You have enough to be concerned about than to be concerned about what other people are doing. Examine yourself. Are you servant-hearted? Do you give God credit? 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, Use it to serve one another as good stewards of varied grace. As you know, it is by the grace of God that we even have opportunities to serve. Are you concerned more about ministry to others or personal gain? Luke 16, 13. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and he will despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Your priority cannot be yourself. Are you servant-hearted? Do you serve with a spirit of humility? 1 Peter 5, 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I believe during our time in 2021, one of the greatest sins that we face, that we see, that gets in the way of us being a mighty power is pride. Your motivation and your attitude makes a difference. Are you servant-hearted? As a servant, are you a peacemaker or are you a troublemaker? 2 Timothy 2.24. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently, enduring evil. Last of all, are you faithful to the ministry which you have been given? 1 Corinthians 4.2. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Are you blooming where you are planted? Or are your eyes wondering, just wishing I could do something else? This is a question that many ministers have to ask themselves. I know that for a fact. Are you servant-hearted? In what area are you serving faithfully? 
and in what area do you need to improve? Now, the next question is, how, do this, how does this all come together? How does this equate in what I'm supposed to do, how I'm supposed to do it, where I'm supposed to do it, the what and where of your places of service, how is that determined? Now, I'll tell you what, some people, um, some people really like puzzles. I'm not necessarily one of those, but uh, some people really like puzzles. And some people uh, do puzzles that are real easy. This is kind of my speed. Uh, it's got, let's see, two, four, six, uh, it's got nine pieces. And not only does it have just nine pieces, but when you take it off, it has a picture underneath of what, what puzzle piece is supposed to go there, okay? Uh, it says, uh, I think this one is for a four-year-old. I think I could handle that one. You can go on up to, uh, here's another one. This one has about 32 pieces. This one would be a little bit harder. It'd probably take me about an hour to do that one. But you know, there are other kinds of puzzles. Um, I got a few pieces of a puzzle. A thousand-piece puzzle. How many of y'all have ever done a thousand-piece puzzle? Oh my goodness, y'all are pa patient, patient, patient people. You know, when you get that thousand-piece puzzle and you start putting it together, have you ever put one of those puzzles together and get right down toward the end and then realize, I'm missing a piece? You start looking around and wondering, okay, what did I do with it? Panic, you know, comes in and you can't say mission accomplished. <laughs> that's an that's a awful, terrible feeling. Let me ask you this. If we are a body of Christ and we each have a piece of the puzzle that we're to do, what happens when our piece is missing? We can't say mission accomplished necessarily. We can't do it nearly as well if your piece of the puzzle is missing. In determining your piece of the puzzle, you need to look, and then we're going to do this real quickly. You need to look at three different things. We've already looked at one of them. Spiritual gifts, passion, and personal style. Now, some of y'all have already determined your spiritual gifts, and I would just say, if you have not, sometime today, take one of these cards home, put it, uh, get your smartphone, put it in the camera mode, and it will download uh, something in there. You can click and you can go, you can take a spiritual gift assessment. So if you've not done that, I would encourage you to do that. So we've dealt with spiritual gifts quite a bit already, but we have yet to talk about passion. I'm just going to touch on it just for a moment. And I simply ask you, what are you passionate about? What really lights your fire? What, what, what really drives you? What gives you satisfaction? You do need to know that there's not a right or a wrong passion. In other words, one may be right for one person and wrong for another person. You may have a passion to feed the hungry, and when you do that, you just get a sense of fulfillment. You may have a passion for a particular group. You may have a passion to work in or campaign for a particular cause. And passion is a God-given desire that compels you to make a difference in a particular ministry. I'm going to say that one more time. I wish I'd made it up myself, but I didn't, okay? Passion is a God-given desire that compels you to make a difference in a particular ministry. And I'm so glad God made each of us different. 
There is great diversity among believers, and each of us has a unique design. And our differences are by God's design. It's not by chance. We are to be, and I'm going to use the word, interdependent. Now, that doesn't mean we're to do our own thing. That means we use our own individuality together with others, thereby becoming interdependent. We are all diverse, but we are called to serve without division. We're called to serve in unity, but that's not achieved necessarily by all being alike. Unity is really achieved by having the same purpose, and that purpose is to do two things, to glorify God and to edify others. And if you're serving, and you can answer those two questions about your service, that you're glorifying God and you're edifying others, you're probably in the right place. And by, term by determining your spiritual gifts, your passion, and your personal style, you are well on your way to finding out where you should serve. In other words, to find your piece of the puzzle. Now, when we dismiss in just a few minutes, I'm going to encourage you to consider something. Uh, in, in the encourager room, we've got a piece of paper. And this piece of paper is something that we use in our new member class. So if you have any trouble trying to discern what am I supposed to do in the area of service in this church, and by the way, serving in this church doesn't mean in the four walls of this church. It may be serving through this church outside the walls of this church. But if you have any questions about serving, you want to find out how you can serve, or maybe God's already touched you in some way and say, hey, I need to help uh, in the preschool area, let me encourage you to stop by the encourager room. Simply get one of these, put your name, your contact number, and just write a note on there. And it also has some helps on there for you if you're trying to discern exactly what God wants you to do. You know, our church is like a puzzle. Like I said, no two of us are alike. No two puzzle pieces are alike. And the puzzle is supposed to fit together to portray a picture. And the church has people when fit together, it makes an absolutely beautiful picture. But when a piece is missing, the picture is incomplete. When someone in the church is missing, what we're missing is a spiritually gifted individual who was purposed for a ministry or a task, and our assignment is incomplete. So I ask you, is your piece of the puzzle in place? Or do you have it in your pocket with no intention of putting it in the puzzle? And don't ever think that you're not needed. And don't ever think that your piece of the puzzle is not good enough. Now, I've shared a, this, story, this story that I'm going to share with you once before, but I believe it really captures what I'm trying to say. Don't ever think that you're not good enough to do something. Throughout Scripture... God has used people who had excuses and shortcomings, and they were used in great ways. Listen to these people. Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah was ugly. Joseph was abused. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson had long hair, Christian. And <laughs> forget this other part. But he was a womanizer, okay? Not, not you. 
Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David had an affair and was a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. John the Baptist ate bugs. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Martha worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced more than once. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. Timothy had an ulcer. And Lazarus was dead. <laughs> God can and will use you if you allow him to do so. This message would not be complete if I didn't ask you to commit to serve in and through this church. And that's what I'm going to ask you to do right now. Hopefully you received a worship guide when you came in. If you did not, I would encourage you on your way out to pick one up. And on the back of it, you may have noticed attached to it was a puzzle piece. And this is what I want you to do. I want this puzzle piece to represent your service in and through this church. And if you are already serving or you want to commit to serve, I'm not going to ask you to come down front. But when you leave, when you go out the back doors, there's going to be people with offering plates. All I'm going to ask you to do is take that puzzle piece off the back of your uh, worship guide. If you're making that commitment, as you exit, place that puzzle piece in the offering plate. And basically what you're doing, you're saying, Lord, I'm offering myself to you to be a servant in and through this church. If you choose not to do so, that's fine. Just dispose it uh, whatever way that you would, you would like. So a couple of things. If, you, if you're going to commit to serve in and through the church, put it back there. If you didn't get one, you can get a worship guide. Take it off and do the same thing. And also, before we are dismissed, do know, if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, that is the very first step. And the way that you do that is you come to the realization that you are a sinner. You come to God and confess your sins to him. And you say to Christ, I believe in you. I want to make you my Lord and my Savior. And you give your life to him. If that's something that you would like to do, I suggest that you stop by the encourager room for that. If you want to know more about the gift of eternal life, that's important. So today, when you leave, everybody's going to make a decision. You're going to decide whether you're going to serve or you're not going to serve. Let's pray. Lord, I come to you right now. Just give you thanks for this day. And Lord, I just pray that um, as we exit this place today, that everyone here, everyone here would truly examine their hearts and their lives, that they would commit themselves to service in and through you. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org.